If you've been pregnant before, you're no stranger to frequent visits to the bathroom to pee. But what if the ability to control your urge was greatly affected after giving birth to your child? Are there ways to prevent this from happening or reduce your odds? I'm Destiny Boshinsky, a physical therapist specializing in the pelvic floor, an area that can be greatly impacted during labor and delivery. This is Preggy Pals, episode 74. Um, is that a plus sign? Pink or blue? Hospital or home birth? What type of food should I be eating? I think I just peed myself. I'm pregnant and I have to exercise. What pregnancy glow? Wait, was that a contraction? (laughs) Gotta make these pants fit. I've got kinkles. What do you mean there's more than one? You've got the symptoms and now you've got the support you need for a happy nine months. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. Welcome to Preggy Pals, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. Preggy Pals is your weekly online on-the-go support group for expecting parents and those hoping to become pregnant. I'm your host, Sunny Galt, and I am joined here by Stephanie. She is our Preggy Pals producer. Stephanie, before we get started, let's tell all of our listeners about our new virtual panelist program. Hi, listeners. Um, So we want you to be a virtual panelist, no matter where you are, if you're in the San Diego area, in the United States, or in the world. We would like you to like our Preggy Pals Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. And if you're on Twitter, it's hashtag PreggyPalsVP. Before we record our shows, we're going to be releasing sneak preview questions. And we want your input, we want your comments, questions for our expert, and we'll talk about them on the show. So if you want more information, you can go to preggypals.com under the community tab and be a virtual panelist. Okay, thanks, Stephanie. Have you guys joined our Preggy Pals Club? Our members get bonus content after each new show, plus special giveaways and discounts. And you'll also get a free subscription to Pregnancy Magazine. For more information, visit our website, preggypals.com. And thanks to everyone who is listening to this episode through our awesome Preggy Pals apps. We have so many of them now. I think there's four total. They are available in the Apple and Android marketplace. And in my opinion, it is the easiest way, most convenient way to listen to the show, especially if you are an on-the-go parent who are always out and about. I feel like I'm always out and about do something with my kids. Um, And another great thing, it's absolutely free. Our apps are free. So download our apps today. Okay, let's meet everyone that's joining us here in the studio. You guys know me. I'm the current host of Preggy Pals. I am 35 years old, and uh, I'm the owner of New Mommy Media, which produces Preggy Pals, Parent Savers, The Boob Group, and coming in January, Twin Talks. Um, My due date is, uh, well, I'll just call it my C-section date. (laughs) I'm having a C-section. It's scheduled for December 2nd. I am pregnant with identical twin girls, and I have two little boys at home already, Sayer, who is three years old and Urban, who's about 17 months old. And Stephanie, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Stephanie. I'm 30. I have a little girl at home. Her name is Savannah, and she's eight and a half months. Um, Time goes so fast. (laughs) And what do I do? I am a producer for Preggy Pals. Okay, and taking my place as host of Preggy Pals is going to be Annie Laird. Annie is, she's been a panelist on the show for a long time and um, on some of our other shows as well. And uh, we're really excited to have her join our team as a host. So we're going to be trading episodes back and forth for the next few months. But Annie, tell us a little bit more about yourself. My name is Annie. I'm 35. Uh, During the day, I'm a government contractor. And then on the weekends, uh, my fun job is going to be hosting Preggy Pals. (laughs) So uh, I really have enjoyed being a panelist on this show. And uh, I already have uh, hosted a couple of episodes. So 
uh, looking forward to continuing that more uh, after my third baby is born, uh, which is going to be next month uh, in October. We're not sure of the baby's gender, uh, but we're planning a home birth. And I have two children already, my eight-year-old Clara and my one-year-old Lucy. All right. And I want to introduce Destiny real quick here, even as part of our panelists, because she's been a panelist on the show. <laughs> she's been an expert a couple times. So, And, and she's pregnant. So <laughs> Destiny, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, I'm Destiny. Uh, my I'm 34. I'm pregnant with my second. My son, Talon, is he'll be three next month on October 20th. And my due date for this little girl is November 2nd. Um, we had a home birth with Talon, and we're planning a home birth with the same midwife again. And uh, I'm a physical therapist. I specialize in pelvic floor, but I also see orthopedic, general orthopedic patients as well. So I have a pretty good mix of the two. And um, I've been doing that for a little over five years now. Very good. Thanks, ladies, for joining us today. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Before we begin today's show, here are some prenatal fitness tips from Lisa Drexman of Stroller Strides. Hi, Preggy Pals. I'm Lisa Drexman, fitness expert and chief founding mom of Stroller Strides, a fitness program for moms and their babies. I'm here to answer some of your most common questions when it comes to exercise and pregnancy. And today I'm going to give you some good ideas to improve labor and delivery. Now, there are some mixed reports on the effects of exercise during pregnancy and on the course of outcome of your labor and delivery. Some studies honestly have shown that it has no effect, yet others show that exercise has shorter labors and less pain labors. And to me, that sounds like a pretty good incentive. Overall, I'm going to tell you that the best thing you can do for a better labor is going to be just to exercise consistently throughout your pregnancy. Make sure you're getting cardiovascular training. Make sure you're getting strength training. But also think about what are some of the positions that you're going to be in during pregnancy. I want to see you doing a lot of squats so that your legs don't fatigue during pregnancy. And thinking about hip opening exercises. So a plie squat and actually mimicking some of the positions that you'll be in. I hope during labor that you're actually not going to be on your back and you're going to be in a lot of standing positions. It will definitely, definitely help you um, getting ready. The other thing is that you can work your abdominals during pregnancy. You just can't do a lot of exercises laying on your back. So whether you're doing abdominal bracing or some standing core exercises, the stronger your abs are, the easier it's going to be to move that baby down. And certainly it's important to be kegeling throughout your pregnancy. And honestly, you should be kegeling every single day for the rest of your life, even after baby is born. Those strong pelvic floor muscles will help you get the baby out, but it's also controlling your body so you know how to relax your pelvic floor and it will help you greatly. So overall, I want to see you exercising throughout your pregnancy, focusing on core strength, focusing on some hip openers and um, again, your pelvic floor. And I do hope you have a wonderful fit pregnancy. Do visit strollerstrides.com for more great information on how to stay fit through pregnancy and parenthood. And be sure to listen to Preggy Pals for more great prenatal fitness tips. All right, today we're exploring a topic that I unfortunately know quite a bit about because it has impacted my life tremendously. We are talking about experiencing urinary incontinence after labor and delivery. And our special expert today is Destiny Boshinsky, a physical therapist specializing in the pelvic floor area. And Destiny, welcome back to Preggy Pals. Nice to have you. Thank you. Uh, Destiny was our expert for Preggy Pals episode 19, Protecting Your Pelvic Floor. And she's also going to be an expert coming up uh, for a new series we're launching about managing pregnancy 
discomfort, and we'll be focusing one of those episodes on physical therapy. So I thought I would start off today's show telling you guys a little bit more about my personal experience. And there's a couple disclaimers I think I should say off the top of the show. And the first is, is that urinary incontinence does not impact everyone the same way. Some women may not be impacted by this at all. And then there are women like me where it has drastically changed their lives. And I don't want to scare anybody through this episode. That's not the intent. I also don't want you to use this as medical advice to think that just because this happened to me, you know, you've got to do the same thing or you can't do something. I believe women should be able to birth their babies exactly the way they want to. And they need as much information as possible in order to make informed decisions. And so today, I thought it was really important for me to share my story. I have not done this on a show before. And I have not done this because there was an ongoing lawsuit regarding my incontinence and how it happened and should my medical provider have been clued into this, you know, this issue that it could have happened to me and was there negligence involved. And I have to say that after about a two, two and a half year battle with this and preparing and a week-long arbitration that the arbitrator cited in favor of my medical provider. So I did lose my case. And And the arbitrator basically said there wasn't enough information out there that my medical provider could have had access to or that there wasn't enough training out there to clue them in that what happened to me could have happened. So there was no way to prevent it. So unfortunately, they kind of chalked it up as... Sunny was injured greatly. I don't think anyone disputed that because of all the treatment that I've had to have and surgeries, but they couldn't possibly have prevented that. And so in releasing this episode today, it's not about blaming providers, okay? I don't want to get down that path because I think this could happen to anyone. I don't think it has anything to do with where you're delivering your baby or how good the care is. I mean, I think the issue more is How do we educate people? How do we educate mothers that this kind of thing can happen? And how do we get the message out there to the medical community so training starts to happen? Because the more people are trained on this and, and realize that, you know, sometimes you can't just chalk up you know, urinary incontinence to having a big baby. Everyone loves to say that. Oh, you had a big baby. But there are other issues that can contribute to this. And the more information we have out there, the more we can be better prepared. So anyways, that's kind of my disclaimer and and why we're doing this episode and why I'm going to be sharing my story in as great of detail um, that I'm going to share it because it's dealing with urinary incontinence is Um, It's very embarrassing. You know, today on the show, we were supposed to have a couple other panelists in addition to myself who have experienced extreme urinary incontinence. And unfortunately, it didn't quite work out. And I think the reason that they kind of backed off is because who wants to really talk about this? Who really wants to admit that you can't control your urine? Like, it's a very embarrassing topic. And I think a lot of women kind of sweep these issues under the rug. The problem is when you do that, you're not only hurting yourself, but you're hurting other women out there. Well, it's interesting that you say that. Sunny, because all the ads that you see on TV are all these women in their 60s running around playing tennis. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, they don't show what the, the real problems. And I definitely have not had the major problems that you have had. Right. But I still, you know, I'm, I'm 35 weeks pregnant with my third baby. Yeah. And I still cross my legs when I sneeze. I sure. pee. Mm-hmm. I laugh. Um, you know, I, I can't run anymore. Right. Um, right. You know, which I really enjoy doing because of again, minor urinary incontinence. And and it's something that happens to so many young 
women of, of childbearing age, right. but we just don't talk about it because of the embarrassment associated with it. Yeah. yeah. And I think the problem is, too, is that, you know, the less we talk about it, the worse it gets. Right. Yeah. Because you, you can start out with, with minor issues like, like you're talking about at a young age, and it snowballs. And and then it gets to the point to where you are in your 60s or 70s, and, and, you, and you have to wear it depends. And mm-hmm. because you're having major issues, even if it doesn't start off like a major issue like Sunny had, mm-hmm. it can lead up to that or end up being like that if it doesn't get addressed early on. And if we don't talk about it now and talk about the early starting right. and start treating people early and addressing the problem early, then it absolutely is going to continue to be a, a bigger problem later on. Yeah. So for those of you that are listening, you know, um, hopefully, hopefully this hasn't happened to you. <laughs> but if it has, you know, please be vocal about it. Please ask questions and please inform other people about it because that's how change is going to happen. So to tell you a little bit about my story, I have two little boys now. I'm, I'm pregnant with identical twin girls. Prior to being pregnant, prior to having my first child, I had absolutely no problems with urinary incontinence, no background in it whatsoever, fully able to control my bladder. I was pregnant with my son. My total labor and delivery lasted maybe 14 and a half hours. Not bad for a first baby. It really really wasn't too bad, you know. And and I knew going into this labor and delivery experience, I knew I wanted an epidural. I am not big on pain. But it was important to me to have a vaginal birth. It's always been important to me to to have that. Well, it sounds like you're the very typical pregnant mom. Most right, most moms right. go into uh, a birth planning to have an epidural. Yeah. You know, but yeah. they do want that vaginal birth. Yeah. Yeah. And everything was going super well. I'm, my body was progressing very naturally. I didn't need, you know, any um, Pitocin or anything like that to speed everything up. My little boy was just, you know, progressing the way he should have. I knew, again, I was going to have an epidural. That was not even a question. <laughs> the question was, <laughs> how quickly can you administer this thing? <laughs> so shortly after being admitted, they gave me an epidural. It is standard procedure for them to insert a Foley catheter. Now, Foley catheter is a catheter that basically has a little bulb at the end of it, and it secures the catheter within your bladder. Um, there's different types of catheter. You can be catheterized, you know, just for an instant, and then they can pull it out. This is something for a more prolonged period, and they they want that balloon in there to secure it. And they also tape the catheter to your leg to help, um, you know, prevent it from being tugged out and things like that. So there are some precautions that are put into place. Well, I mean, and that makes sense with making sure that the bladder is empty because the if the bladder is full then that can prevent the baby from yes. you know your labor from progressing and the yes. baby from moving down yeah. you know so so that's mm-hmm. a good thing to have an empty bladder and and obviously when you have an epidural they want you to have a catheter because then you don't have the sensation in your legs that you normally would so you can't get up to go void. to the bathroom yes yeah, exactly right mm-hmm. and i had a great epidural i could still feel stuff but i was not in pain so i knew when contractions were coming for the most part but again i i didn't have the pain that was associated with it so everything was progressing Wonderfully, I was very happy. I was in a very good mood <laughs> that I wasn't having pain, um, and uh, and my baby was coming, and we knew it was healthy, and and everything was progressing well. When it got to the second stage, second stage is known as the pushing stage. I ended up pushing for two and a half hours. At the start of that, though, um, as you guys know, who those of you have who have had babies already, usually, you know, I, I gave birth in a typical hospital environment. Um, there was a labor and delivery nurse that was pretty much there by 
my side most of the night coming in and out checking on me. The OB came in and out, you know, uh, occasionally. I think I'd had one other um, prior meeting with her. She was not the person that saw me primarily for my prenatal care. So um, mainly it was the labor and delivery nurse taking care of me. I did some practice pushes before the OB came in the room according to, you know, what the labor and delivery nurse had instructed me to do. And then at some point, um, probably a handful of minutes later, the OB comes into the room. Um, She instructs me to do some pushes. And these were guided pushes. The labor and delivery nurse was there. The OB was right there. And at one point, she told me to stop because the Foley catheter, so that little bulb that I was telling you guys about, that little bulb had made its way into the urethra opening. So if you can imagine <laughs> this bulb, you know how tiny a urethra opening is. So say, mm-hmm. Could you feel this, Sunny? No. Hmm. Oh, I had an epidural, right? right? And you feel a lot of pressure. I mean, I'm yeah. trying to push out a baby, yeah. <laughs> right? So there's a lot of pressure down exactly. there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did not feel bulb at all. Even okay. if you didn't have an epidural, I don't know if you'd be able to feel. Right. I mean, there's so, like you said, there's so much pressure and so there's much so sensation. Much going on. I don't know if you can really discern. I don't know if I, I wouldn't know if I would have been able to discern. Is there something in my urethra versus my vagina at this yeah. point? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even unmedicated. Right. So it's, 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 there's just so well, much. Well, that, that's a good point. A lot of women, when they, they describe the urge to push as having to take a bowel movement. Yeah. So yeah, it's all yeah. kind of pressured down yeah. in that region. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, the OB actually saw it. So it wasn't that she just felt it, but she actually gave me a, a, a sign of, I see the bulb, and she gestured with her hand about how big it was, an approximation. She told me to stop pushing. And then from that point, the labor and delivery nurse asked if she wanted to, you know, remove the catheter, and she said yes. At this point, you know, I this is my first baby. I really don't know what's going on. Is it normal to push something like this out? I have no idea, okay? I am focused on my baby. <laughs> and, you know, to my knowledge, you know, this wasn't an, an unusual occurrence. It wasn't until later that I found out it was highly unusual. And so uh, my labor and delivery progressed. Again, I was pushing for two and a half hours with no Foley catheter in, and uh, my baby was born. To my knowledge, everything turned out swimmingly. <laughs> my baby was perfectly healthy. Um, they didn't have to use forceps or anything like that that I know sometimes contributes to urinary incontinence. He came out naturally. The epidural started to wear off. And at one point, the um, this was a new labor and delivery nurse, they had changed shifts, had asked me to get up and try to void. I stood up to go to the bathroom. And um, I was supposed to, again, have full control over everything and be able to physically walk there by myself. And I stood up and my bladder just emptied onto the floor. I, I didn't even, I didn't know what was going to happen. I, I didn't feel numb. I didn't feel anything. I felt like I, you know, do right now. Like I thought that I could just walk to the bathroom. And I was in shock. I, <laughs> I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know what was happening. You know, you mentioned that, Sunny, and it's interesting because just right now, a light bulb went on. The same thing happened to me. Really? Yeah. yeah. I had a 10-pound, 4-ounce baby, um, and the nurse was so mean about it. Like, she, <laughs> she's like, well, if you can't control, you know, the, the epidural had worn off. Yeah. You know, and so, that you, again, you, you have yeah. to get up and under your own control, yeah. under your own power, and get right. to the bathroom. Right, right. And, uh... You know, I just, I didn't ha- have control yeah. and I, it just went all over the bathroom floor. Yeah. And she's like, well, if you, you can't control your, your bladder, then we have to catheterize you again. I'm like, well, yeah. you know, lady, I just, 
I just pushed out over a 10 pound <laughs> baby here an hour yeah. ago. I pushed out you a know, one month old child. Ex- exactly. Right. I'm sorry that, you know, you don't like cleaning up pee. You, <laughs> that's part of your job. It's part of your job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you get into nursing, that's part of your job. <laughs> that's like the easiest part of their job. I know, they pick right? up a lot worse. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So um, by the time I went to the bathroom, I'm not even sure if anything actually came out because it was all on the floor. Yeah. Um, and really, in my mind, I just chalked it up to, well, my body, you know, it's just still recovering. I just right. gave birth to a baby, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and no one was really acting like it was a huge, huge deal. So I really wasn't on alert. So you're saying you didn't have Nurse Ratchet like I had. <laughs> No, I really didn't. Awesome for you. I all mean, right. I thought it was weird. I was like, well, why did she have me stand up if she knew it was just going to happen on the floor, yeah. right? But, you know, a lot of questions. It's... it's still you know how you're in a fog after you have a baby there's a lot going on right and so uh, eventually they moved me to a postpartum room um and i was there for a couple of days the problem never it never went away i never had any control over my bladder the moment gravity took over it was on the floor um, my bed was, I remember, right next to the bathroom. And I thought, oh, I, I can I can get there. I can make it. Because I kept thinking, come on, body. What's going on? Everyone's telling me this is normal. Why don't you start bouncing back to, you know, to the way you were? And it just didn't. I remember talking to my mom. And eventually my mom said, there's something wrong here. Like, yeah. your body should be reacting differently now. And you need to ask to see um, a urologist. Since you're in the hospital, ask to see a urologist. Well, that's some good advice from your mom there. I mean, yes. like, like you were saying, you know, I mean, Absolutely. I had that w- happen one time. But eventually you know it, it started to come back and so you started exactly. to have more it was well it was it was within it was within a day okay yeah okay so yeah so and i was in the hospital for a couple of days and still had nothing yeah nothing yeah i asked to see a urologist they told me that i wouldn't fall under urologist care because i was so soon postpartum that i had to see an ob and so they brought an ob in the room and i explained my problem she did not examine me and she just chalked it up to it's just you you just gave birth women have incontinence issues after giving birth but again she did not examine me and i'm saying i think this is different i can't even i can't make it at all like nothing is staying in my body um so anyways i ended up going home still having this problem still hoping it would just figure itself out you know about a week later i i was in major pain if if i had a second degree tear um, which is somewhat normal, I guess. And um, the problem is, is that I was having to wear Depends um, because I was the only way I, I had to wear adult diapers. There was there was no other way to catch the urine. The pads were not working, whatever. And so if you can imagine a second degree tear pretty much sitting in urine all day long. Like yeah. I was trying to change out those Depends as much as possible. But my only real relief was sitting like in a bath like with Epsom salt. And like the moment I even, mm-hmm. yeah, like it sits bath. And the moment I got out of the bath, it would start to hurt again. Whether there was urine on it or not, it would you just start heal. to throb. It you could not heal. heal. Yeah. Eventually I went in. Um, I saw a, a different OB, anyone that would see me. About a week after they, they agreed, you know, that I could come in and they could look me at over because they kept saying oh at your six-week postpartum appointment you could talk no 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 I was not going to make it six weeks you know I could barely make it one week um what ended up happening is I went in to see the OB and she referred me to a urogynecologist which is a gynecologist that has additional training in this area um kind of like a urologist and a gynecologist put together I had to get treatment for it you know I had some physical therapy destiny that was 
one of the first things because they they don't want to jump right into surgery or anything big. Plus, you've already you just had a baby, right? So yeah. that you know they it's can't a, do surgery. They can't do anything right away. Um, and plus, most of the time, most of the most instances, conservative management of incontinence, yeah. if mild to moderate cases, is successful. Right. Your your right. case is it's out totally of the different. norm. But it kept getting norm. classified yeah. as right. that. You know, well, is it really as bad as she says it is? I mean, right. who makes this stuff up, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it got to the point, you know, I saw a physical therapist. I worked on Kegels. Um, I got my Kegels up to about a, a five. So it was as high as I could go. Super strong. Super strong. It's great for postpartum. <laughs> and I wasn't noticing any any change in the incontinence. And um, they had fitted me for a pessary or a, a continence or incontinence ring, whatever you want to call it. Um, it basically is supposed to support the urethra a little bit so you have more functionality over it and um, I saw a little bit of change not much and my mind was just set on having surgery because I thought there is just no way you know I'm trying to do all these other non-invasive things and, and they're saying you know we can't do surgery for six months so fast forward, I, I just kind of had to grin and bear it for several months. It got to the six-month mark. I had to have all the necessary uh, tests done to ensure that I was a good candidate, and I was well more than a good candidate. I was, like, testing crazy on, on these tests there, mm. you know, where it was even hard to measure how much strength I had over my continence because it, I had no I had no control. And so um, I eventually ended up having two different surgeries. They they wanted to schedule a third for me, but then I, I got pregnant with my second son. Um, so that had to be postponed. Um, and, and basically, you know, the way the situation is now, it, it is tough because I'm pregnant again with, you know, baby three and four. And, um, <laughs> you know, when, when you are pregnant and you already have a continence issue, you know, you're going to leak. You're going to, you know, it's, it's going to be worse. Um, I haven't been able to take additional steps that I probably would have had if um, I was done having kids. Like there's medication you can get on. They don't want you to do that if you're breastfeeding or if you're planning to get pregnant. There are other, you know, types of more invasive procedures, surgeries, things they can actually physically insert into your body to help control continence. Um, I have not explored any of those. The, the you know, the issue for me was not only, you know, that this happened, but again, um, I, I think it, it should have been prevented. And getting the word out there for me personally about women who choose to have epidurals and have Foley catheters. That Foley catheters can come out of your urethra. It has happened. Um, There is not enough information out there, um, again, which is one of the reasons that we're doing this show. There are many other reasons, and we're going to explore that in the second half of this episode, as to what can cause urinary incontinence. And we definitely want to go over all of that. But my, my, I guess, personal message, you know, is that be vocal about this. You know, if this happens to you or has happened to you, you. you know, tell as many people as possible because, you know, that's the issue right now um, is that there's not enough information out there. Not that it doesn't happen. Um, I think most of the people involved in my lawsuit, um, if they were being completely honest, would admit that it was a Foley catheter coming through my urethra that caused this. The question is, should uh, my medical provider have known about it? And the decision was that they couldn't possibly because there wasn't information 
out there. So please tell people about this. Please be vocal about this um, because the more vocal we are, the more um, information there will be out there and the more people we can help. So with that being said, (laughs) that is my story about incontinence. Um, But in in part two of this episode, we're going to talk more about, you know, the the pelvic floor in general. What are some other reasons women develop incontinence and what can we do about it? So that's my monologue. (laughs) We'll be right back. Welcome back. Today we're talking about urinary incontinence after labor and delivery. Destiny Bashinsky is our expert. She is a physical therapist who specializes in the pelvic floor area. So, Destiny, now that you've heard my lovely story. <laughs> and, 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 and let me just chime in that yes. a little disclaimer on yeah, my sure. part. That uh, I, I'm here as an expert in the pelvic floor area, right. not as a birth expert right. and, and procedures during birth. Any opinions that I have are strictly opinions on that okay. and not from an expert point of view. <laughs> Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you for that distinction. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the pelvic floor and how it relates to urinary incontinence. What what needs to happen um, to have full control over the areas that control our urinary continence? So when I think of urinary control, the, the, the best, kind of the simplest way to put it is just a balance of pressures. The pressure downward on your bladder pushing urine out needs to be matched or, uh, or um, resisted by pressure upward and support upward to prevent it from coming out in, in order to have control. And then when you want to pee, vice, the opposite happens. You have to release the pressure uh, from below to allow urine to come out and the pressure from above has to be greater. So when we're talking about pressures downward, uh, forcing urine out, we're talking about all of intra-abdominal pressure, the pressure within the abdomen, pressure of the, all the abdominal contents themselves, weight, all of those have contribute to downward force on the bladder and on urine. Um, Pressure resisting that is not just the muscles of the pelvic floor. I think a lot of people think urinary incontinence, they automatically think, well, I do my Kegels and I still leak. Why? Yeah. What's up with that? Yeah. It's not just the muscles. Okay. There's um, there's muscular, there it certainly is a big, uh, big role of the muscles in the pelvic floor um, in controlling incontinence, especially with um, the type of con- incontinence called stress urinary incontinence, which is not what you had. Yours was just gravity dependent. <laughs> Um, they did try so, to lump it into that stress category, though. Right, yeah. right. Uh, because it, yours was kind of unclassifiable. Right. You didn't even have an urge to go, and you would just right. go. Right. Um, so there's there's different different causes of different classifications, but stress incontinence is usually when pressure is increased, like with a cough or a sneeze or a laugh, then you leak. And oftentimes, strengthening the muscles of the pelvic floor will, are, it's very successful with that. 80 to 90% of people respond really well to strengthening. Um your case is different because the other upward resistive um, supports are your ligaments. The ligaments that support the bladder and the urethra itself, there's like a hammock sling type system that support that lies underneath the bladder of um, what's called fascia, supportive connective tissue and ligaments that helps hold the bladder in place um, or prevent it from dropping down. And there's also ligaments, supportive ligaments and fascia around the urethra itself that holds it, kind of holds it against the the pubic bone and uh, along the front of the vagina and if those ligaments are torn or or damaged or overstretched um, then you've got a floppy urethra or mm-hmm. a floppy bladder and there's only so much that the muscles underneath can do to support that depending right. on the degree of tearing and when you have something large 
essentially ramming through your urethra, it's going to just wipe out all of those ligaments and overstretch things. And then your urethra is unsupported and your muscles, like you said, you got the strongest you can get your muscles. (laughs) It's not a matter of strength or or working out. Um, You just didn't have the passive support of those ligaments to keep you in place. And, um, And that's pretty much the balance that we're looking at. So when postpartum patients come to you, um, fairly quickly after having a baby. What typically has happened in this area to, um, to to reduce their ability to control urine? What are some of the issues that you commonly see? So usually what I see is is weakened muscles. Okay. Muscles that have been stretched or torn. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a second degree tear. A second degree right. tear, the, mus- the tear does go into the, uh, the pelvic floor muscles a little bit. Okay. And with that comes a weakness. It's like any time you, like you, you tear your quadriceps, yeah. you're going to have weakness there and it's going to affect your ability to control your knee. Okay. Um, the same thing happens if you, if you have a tear that extends into the muscle, it's going to affect your ability to be strong and control things. Not everyone who has a second degree tear will have incontinence. It's right. not like one absolutely leads, leads to, to the, the other. other. Right. But um, typically that's what I see is at least a second degree tear um, or some extended prolonged pushing phase that okay. has overstretched things okay. or put a lot of pressure on the pelvic floor that's um, and it hasn't recovered yet. Honestly, I, I would like to see more women earlier postpartum than I do, but it usually isn't until years after. And, they, and a lot of women say, oh, Oh, yeah, after my first kid, definitely after the second or the third. But um, after my first kid, yeah, I had leaking for a while. And, um, and it usually comes back later on without being treated. Is leaking urine after having a baby, and I'm talking about pretty immediately, is that ever normal? Because one of the things people kept saying to me in the hospital was, oh, it's normal. You just had a baby. Like, I mean, is it ever really normal? I mean, I feel like we kind of put up with this. Like you said, you know, women are coming in (laughs) in their menopause years or whatever saying, oh, yeah, I had that right after having Mm -hmm. a baby. I I think we sometimes chalk it up. It's a very embarrassing thing to talk about, Mm -hmm. right? We don't like to talk about it. Um, But... And we just chalk it up as being normal. But is it? Is it normal? Not the kind that you're describing. Yeah. I mean, like full, complete bladder loss like that. And let, if your epidural's fully worn off and mm-hmm. you have full sensation, you know, full ability. Well, not, you know, you're not going to have full ability to contract your muscles for a while. But, you know, ability to contract your muscles and control. It, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't happen. That's not what I would classify as normal. Even, you know, small amounts of leaking, um, can definitely happen within the postpartum period and resolve pretty quickly, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't say it's normal. It's a you know that it's supposed to happen. At what point would you advise people, even if they're just leaking a little bit? Because you know I'm the first to admit that I I'm a different case. I, I had a complication that happened that was you know beyond having a big baby, you know beyond the pushing phase, right? right. So for the women that have just you know maybe experienced a long pushing phase or big baby or whatever, and they sp- experience a little bit of it, when would you? expect that to wear off versus, you know, Annie was talking about earlier, oh, within a day or so, it kind of wore off Mm -hmm. um, and my body returned to normal. What would you say is as far as someone who may need treatment, what was the cutoff point really? Well, I I would definitely say within the first couple months, it should resolve. Um, If, if, if everything physiologically is healing and returning back to, you know, well, not back to, 
It's never the same. But <laughs> You're never the same after you have a baby. It doesn't but work that way. If, if things are healing and, and progressing normally, then, I, you know, I would definitely say within a couple of months. But if you if you have any degree of tearing, you know, six to eight weeks, you should be fully healed from that tearing. Your scar tissue is going to continue changing. Um, your muscles will continue changing and everything. But the pain and limitation from the, from the tear and that injury should be resolved, um, largely resolved within that first couple of months. And... And, and you should have full continence. There's really no reason that you shouldn't um, from a normal perspective. Okay. And then you can you can absolutely have treatment, pelvic floor treatment um, after that time. Okay. Can a woman be genetically uh, predisposed to leakage after having a baby? Well, I don't know about genetically predisposed. You know, there's different body types. Right. There's people who have stronger legs than yeah. others. There's people who are like really built up top in their in their um, arms than others. And there's people who have you know really strong abs. There's people who have really strong pelvic floors. There's people who have really weak pelvic floors. So definitely with body type variation that can predispose you to some leaking if you're just you've, you're really weak in that area mm-hmm. and then you have a baby that stretches things mm-hmm. and and it's harder for you to get back even that little bit of strength that you had before so i i would say that that can predispose but i, I don't know about genetic predisposition what are some other ways that we can try to prevent urinary incontinence? Are there some key things that you could give us to kind of work on? Yeah, well, uh, like I said, the majority of people are, are having is, um, stress incontinence issues, right. and, and that responds really well to strengthening. So yeah. doing your Kegel exercises is important. And if you're pregnant, doing... Kegels as well as relaxing the pelvic floor is really important, getting the control of the pelvic floor because some women go into uh, labor and delivery having a really tight pelvic floor, especially with first babies. And and that can cause complications as well. Um, so, you know, being able to relax and, um, and elongate and lengthen those muscles is just as important as being able to contract them. Um, Nobody would walk around with their biceps contracted all day long. Just <laughs> not, you know, who's going to walk around like yeah, that? Right, you can't right. use your arm. <laughs> um, so, you know, you want to have good control of those muscles. You know, having good bladder habits as well is really important. Like not holding your urine for too long. Not holding it for too long. Not going just in case. Okay. Um, not putting things into your bladder that aren't good for it. You know, a lot of carbonated beverages, um, a lot of artificial sweeteners, uh, caffeine, things that are really acidic. Those kind of things can definitely irritate the bladder and cause you to leak more or cause you to have more bladder issues. <laughs> so many things that can things. impact it. <laughs> There's a lot of things. But, you know, if you're, if you're mainly, you know, concerned about pregnancy and, and what you can do now to help your pelvic floor be healthy afterwards, you know, and just exercise, general exercises is important in doing your Kegels and, and relaxing the pelvic floor as well, opening up your pelvis. Okay. Sounds good. Well, thank you, Destiny, for joining us today and being part of our conversation. Our conversation continues for members of a Preggy Pals Club. After the show, Destiny will discuss some treatment options available for women dealing with moderate to severe urinary incontinence. For more information on our club, you can visit preggypals.com. We have a question from one of our listeners. This comes from Jared. I love hearing from the partners, from the dads. He says, my wife is doing less than two months. She is so excited about her baby showers and has invited me to the parties. But honestly, it really doesn't interest me. I think that's how most guys feel, Jared. <laughs> but thank you for your honesty. I appreciate that. He says, I know our lives are going to drastically change here shortly, but I would prefer to have a little party of my own 
with some of my guy friends? Is this completely out of line since I'm not the one that's physically pregnant? And how can I approach this with my wife? Hi, Jared. This is Dr. Dan Singley. I'm a clinical psychologist specializing in men's issues with an emphasis in new fatherhood. And the scenario that you've laid out where you've got limited tolerance for baby showers is definitely a common one that I hear quite a lot, both professionally as well as personally from uh, couples, friends of ours that are they're having showers. And folks have come at the issue a number of different ways, one of which is to ha- have mom and dad-to-be collaborate on exactly what the structure of it is going to be. Do you want to have a deal where everybody's around while you're opening the gift or not? You don't have to do this. Um, do you want to have games? Do you not want to have games? Uh, I think what's most important is that uh, you and mom get together and you're on the same page about what you're looking for because it's not just important for you. It is important for other people to be able to honor your transition into parenthood, but you do want to have it be in keeping with, with your own interest as an individual, but then as a couple. And the way that some folks will do that is they'll basically have the, the man cave. Um, they'll have a, um, a, a so-called couple shower. And um, to be sort of stereotypical here, there will be, you know, poker and cigars, have an out back and um, folks, generally the guys, are uh, will go out and take part in that. Um, another way is to actually split it out and to do something that's not along the lines of a typical shower, but it's just, and again, another way for a, a guy to get together with other friends and honor the transition into fatherhood. And we'll do sort of like a like a bro staycation kind of a thing. We sort of make, get together and I'll go, you know, go golfing or you know, take part in some other kinds of activities together and, and, you know, have part of it be just talking about, you know, men that have already had the transition and and, um, thoughts about the uh, impending dad-to-be. But I I think most importantly is just for you and mom-to-be to get together and to have a straightforward discussion about exactly what your ideal way of, of involving your friends and family in, in honoring your impending transition into motherhood and to fatherhood. And that could look really different, but it'd be a very productive conversation to have. Even if you don't agree, ideally you'd be able to do it together, but the case may be that, that doing it separately would be the best way for the two of you. So good luck with your shower and party planning. Hope this information has been helpful. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Preggy Pals. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Parent Savers, for parents with newborns, infants, and toddlers, and our show, The Boob Group, for moms who breastfeed their babies. Next week, it's another tough topic to discuss. October is National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, and we'll be talking about ways to find support should this happen to you or someone that you care deeply about. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy your way. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, 
Please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare provider. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, mamas, don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.